Hey, how's it going? Champagne Sharks. This is Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. The podcast has its own Twitter account at Champagne Sharks. Uh, feel free to engage us there. Also, I've been trying to promote this more because they've been doing very good work, but there is a Reddit that goes with Champagne Sharks. As I've mentioned in the past, we don't create the Reddit. We're not behind it. Um, but the people who do create it are fans of the show and they've been doing a good job of not just putting links to episodes of the show, but finding all types of articles and topics and interviews and video clips that kind of relate to the subject matter of the show, but are not actually from the show. So a lot of good, um, color commentary and extra resources that would interest fans of the show. So you can go to champagnesharks.reddit.com and chop it up with them over there talk to other uh, like-minded fans we go over there sometimes too it's uh, pretty good what they're doing and of course support the show for five dollars a month by going to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks you get two shows a week instead of one and you get access to all the back catalog of bonus episodes so at this point it's over 50 so you get many hours of added content just for signing up for five dollars a month and finally uh, tell a friend, recommend the show to people, rate and review the show. Those are all important things to do as well. If you can't sign up as a patron or if you're already a patron and want to find another way to support. And I think that's all the housekeeping. So let's get to the people we have with us co-host d mills hey what's going on everybody this is d mills you can find me on twitter don't at me at md mills 79 ironically of course but you know i'm happy to be here thanks for having me i think don't at me at md mills 79 confuses <laughs> people uh, uh his at is md mills 79 correct yeah yeah and then his the uh, handle yeah his handle is don't at me because i think people are like what is they're gonna try typing the whole thing yeah so, right yeah right. So you can find him on Twitter at MDMills79, and you'll know you have the right guy when the handle is called Don't At Me. <laughs> and uh, we have a guest with us. Uh, if you don't mind introducing yourself to the people. Sure. So I'm Bo. I'm on Twitter as EboPeep, a.k.a. Okay. Electric Bo Peep. Yes, Electric Bo Peep. And we uh, will have a link to her Twitter account in the show notes. But uh, tell the people a little about yourself and um, basically why you're here. Yeah, so I'm here to discuss the recent controversy around the casting of Cynthia Erivo as Harriet Tubman. Um, I'm one of several people who have been digging into a lot of problematic behavior that Cynthia has exhibited towards African Americans, towards the people who are essentially who are Harriet Tubman's people. Um, and so along with people like Tyler Collins 101, who's at, at Tyler Collins 101 um, on Twitter, who's started a petition on change.org. Um, people like Behem Baba, people like Black Cowork and other people um, who tend to organize on Twitter around American DOS issues. Um, I've been trying to dig into and gather a clear picture of what's going on with Cynthia's posture towards African-Americans and also with the media coverage of the casting. Um, and I think something that's also important to note is that my personal background, which anyone who looks at my Twitter profile will see, is that my lineage is, um, there's a duality, right? And so um, one of my parents is 
African-American descendant of American chattel slavery, um, what's come to popularly be known as DOS nowadays in, in the last year or so. And then another one of my parents is um, of Caribbean heritage. Their parents, grandparents actually, <laughs> migrated here to the U.S. back in the 20s and the 30s. And so I have the perspective um, that's informed by both of those heritages. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, mask that. And I think it's important to be transparent about that. And I also think that it's important in terms of the larger conversation and how it often gets pushed back as maybe being a guise for xenophobia, um, which, you know, isn't isn't my thing. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that we brought up at the end of uh, the last episode we had with Red Carnell about how some people have taken this cause and just kind of used it as uh, mass xenophobia, kind of like how some people take maybe some things we say in this show and use it as a mask for uh, misogyny, etc. It's good to know uh, where everybody comes from. I mean, I think people who listen to this show, but I like to treat every episode as someone's possible first episode you know should know where people come from so me myself i'm from caribbean background i'm born in america born in new york but both my parents are of haitian descent and are um immigrants and d if you want to share your background um yes i'm 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 american dos my mother and father were both um descendants of american chattel slavery my mom's side of the family is you know uh from the south mississippi louisiana and then they migrated over here to the West Coast in the uh, early 70s. And then my father's side is actually from the East Coast, from New Jersey. And um, so that's my little cultural background there. Nothing so, exotic. About so, it. so it's very, even, is, it it's very evenly split. It <laughs> yeah, it's very evenly split. We're one and a half American DOS and one and a half foreign right. black. So, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah, so what I wanted to... Uh, talk about is these threads that you've done um boas put together these threads about the controversy that are basically the best commentary that i've seen and the level of research i don't know what your day job is what your skill set is but right. you should really look into doing like uh background investigating and you want to talk about receipts yeah yeah <laughs> my goodness yeah man. there's a <laughs> lot of, a lot of receipts and something that i find very uh disturbing it's not just with what you've done but just with the culture in general is and the disturbing is not your aspect it's the mainstream media aspect a lot of the legwork that websites should have done they did not do like if you go to a lot of the mainstream coverage of this and i think it's because now the way websites and freelance writing works it's just all about generating content mm -hmm. and sticking up for your friends and you know you're not getting paid a lot so there's not a lot of uh incentive to really do a deep dive but yeah a lot of the um articles or coverage have been very very poor and left out a lot of context or had a lot of straw men like you know people are saying that cynthia revo is not really black which is a common straw man that comes up that's that somehow you're doubting their racial identity or you know the or they'll just cherry pick some of the worst tweets to oh yes kind of mm -hmm. make the opposition look very irrational and i noticed very few despite how vocal you are in this topic very few of these articles um will cite you and i have to think that is not just an oversight yeah just a, yeah just a cursory search of twitter for these uh topics 
pulls up your threads. That's how I found you. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's kind of disturbing how reliant you have to be on enthusiasts like yourself to get the full picture when the actual professionals, so-called professionals, are kind of dropping the ball, either for partisan reasons, because, you know, they want to stick up for the black excellence blue check crowd or just out of maybe laziness or just having to move on to the next hit generator or click generating content and there's no time to um delve on anything but i guess what i'm trying to ask you is what brought you to um take up this cause and to do so so thoroughly and what has been your uh impression on how it's been covered in the media absolutely um so first of all just growing up obviously all of us or at least i would hope all of us learned about harriet tubman in school um, and I am by no means an expert on her, but I've read, you know, a fair amount about her. Um, and she's someone who I really value as a sacred ancestor, as a black person, as a woman, and as someone who is really, um, a seminal figure, a progenitor of African Americans. And so she's extremely near and dear to my heart and she holds an extremely special place one of you know the most vaunted places really um amongst african-american dos as a people she was our moses right so there's that i think it's important to lay out the timeline and so september 14th is when the harriet tubman movie movie announcement was made this was actually the second announcement to my knowledge um in this particular announcement was once again um, naming Cynthia as the person playing Harriet Tubman. Her casting had actually been first announced in February of 2017. Um, it also was announcing that Focus Features had picked up the movie um, and it announced a few of her fellow cast members. So that was the actual news on September 14th. And um, just a bit before, in August, we had been in the midst of the controversy around Lovey. And so I think from that perspective, this notion of cultural boundaries and integrity and disrespect and gaslighting and all of those uh, dynamics were still very much top of mind for a lot of people. And so at Behimbaba on Twitter, um, he mentioned me and basically was, was posting this announcement and bringing to light the fact that Cynthia apparently was associated with, was friends with Lovey. Um, and so when I first saw that, it was, you know, slight cause for concern, but I'm not going to automatically jump to a conclusion. Um, and so if you go back to the original um, announcement on Cynthia's timeline and on Focus Features timeline, you'll see myself and a few other people basically asking her um, to clarify if she condones or condemns the very bigoted beliefs and statements that Lovey um, has made. And at this point, because it's not really about Lovey, I'm just going to refer to Lovey as the ethnic bigot friend, because that's what she is and that's what's important to this conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, we're asking her, expressing like genuine concern, but giving her the opportunity to make this clear. Do you, are you friends with this person? Um, and if you are friends with them, if you are associated with them in a meaningful way, please clarify 
do you condone her making jokes about Harriet Tubman? Um, saying things like, you know, Adele songs sounds like um, she composed for Harriet Tubman um, or she composed for the people on the Underground Railroad, making light of this very serious part of yeah. history. Do you and, condone? And, and, and something that's weird about that crowd is they love Harriet Tubman jokes, like the two <sighs> dope queens. And slavery jokes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the two dope queens, for example, I don't even think are from foreign um from foreign black stock but i noticed that in the black excellence crowd the even the american dos people in that blue check black excellence crowd kind of take sides with the lovies and share that same type of uh humor of um mocking the same stuff but yeah Issa ray um uh, the two who's half american half foreign black and the two dope queens who i think are american dos like there's something about harriet tubman that they find is like very cute for a punchline yeah and that's to, yeah that's extremely problematic um i mean ultimately because of their heritage it's not automatically okay but that's yeah. sort of almost a different um matter i would say but i think because in you know the digital spaces you have people making these jokes with each other then you have people who aren't of that heritage who certainly should not be at all um making a mockery of these things they almost feel emboldened and empowered to make those jokes and then the american dos who are making similar jokes um don't check them yeah exactly so there's it, it, that it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like letting your white friend well. say the n-word right around right you, yeah. exactly and so that's you know just a, a an overview um lovey also made just very disparaging and, and bigoted remarks um yeah, about the lack of african-american culture and you yeah. guys covered that in your past in your past podcast so i won't i won't go in deep into that yeah i think but, the last thing you were talking about was how yes. you guys were asking uh cynthia to yeah. explain her um association yeah, to clarify with, the yeah. association and to either um you know state whether she uh condones or condemns the the bigotry that her friend had displayed and so throughout that day um i'm you know just scrolling through her timeline and i see that cynthia actually had defended her friend the ethnic bigot very proactively um just last month when the controversy was happening and also that she wasn't just defending her from the position of you know i know this person and she's a good human being but rather she was defending her by promoting and co-signing her friends very um obnoxious oblivious at best gaslighting in the form of a 2000 word essay defense um and so you know, you guys obviously discussed it in more detail, but there was this long essay basically using the straw man of my blackness is being attacked just because I'm Nigerian. And this is something that Cynthia retweeted, um, endorsed, saying, please read this. This is my friend. And then to take it a step and further. There were, several, there were several straw men in that article. That there were several. That yes. was just the that most was the prominent yes. one. Yeah, but yeah, it's yes, full there of were more men. than there were absolutely more than one. And so there was that. And then she took it a step further by um, sparring with at Carnithia, Mickey Kendall, who was one of the most prominent people who was very clearly and cogently calling out, you know, the continued ethnic bigotry. Um, in this latest instance of disrespect, Cynthia stepped into that 
conversation and was sort of holding uh, Carnithia to task for saying to to Levy, this is an ethnic bigot, you know, all you had to do was sit there and eat your collard greens of all the reasons to end up on, or sorry, your collard greens, goodness, not your collard greens, your jollof rice. <laughs> Let's say that jollof rice is the Niger equivalent to collard greens. I think that gotcha. that's why I have it in my head. Yeah. So all you had to do was sit there and eat your jollof rice um, of all the reasons to end up on the summer jam screen. And Cynthia steps in and is basically, once again, gaslighting straw man, diverting the issue at hand, saying, how dare you bring up Jolof? And you're basically insulting her Nigerian heritage. And, you know, that's really unfortunate of you to do. Um, and, you know, Carnifia, of course, defended herself. And Cynthia, in a very condescending way, said, you know, you know what you're doing. Don't um, act oblivious. It's unbecoming. And luck gave you people who can't see it. But this is disrespectful. And then Cynthia goes yet another step further and retweets a post by someone also responding to Carnithia that says, this is so wrong. The same people that will shout racism at, at a white man not realizing how damaged they are themselves. It's not new that some African-Americans are jealous of Africans in the US. For example, this person here. And so at that point, the issue becomes not only that you're friends with this person, um, not just that, you know, you're defending them as a friend might by saying that I know this person, they're a good human being, but rather that you are defending the actual content. Yeah, you're, right. You're gaslighting, you're defending the actual content, and you're also promoting and endorsing bigoted beliefs against African-Americans. And so going back to the timeline, what we have to keep in mind is that, like I said, it was first announced in February 2017 that Cynthia was cast as Harriet Tubman. Um, at that point, she was wrapping up playing Celie in The Color Purple, which she had that role since July of 2013. So she had played it in the UK production, and then she was one of the only, I think the only UK cast member brought over to the US to continue playing that role. And Celie is another very important, um, you know, character in African-American canon. And I bring that up because there's an interview from July 2013 where Cynthia is talking about how she's studied for this role and how she appreciates the African-American history that grounds the character Celie in that story. And so having this in mind um, and having in mind that, you know, she's been cast at Har as Harriet Tubman in February 2017, she's going to actually start shooting as Harriet Tubman October um, this month, so October 2018, she had already, at the point that this, um, you know, back and forth is going on in August, she had already likely been studying, um, been researching, been rehearsing for the Harriet Tubman role. And so you have to ask if you are, you know, digging deep into this person who is the Moses of African Americans, who is this, you know, icon, this sacred ancestor of African Americans, and you're digging in to the history and the culture and the lineage that Harriet Tubman is grounded in um, and what her whole life was about, how can you then endorse people and amplify hateful comments saying that African-Americans are jealous of Africans in, in, a, in a matter where the issue at hand is your friend's cultural disrespect? And then to make matters even worse, Carnithia 
brings to Cynthia's attention, listen, you might want to look at your friend's history of disrespect with African-Americans. This isn't the first time. And so even if somehow, you know, it was possible at that point that she wasn't aware of this very long history that her friend, the ethnic bigot had towards um, African-Americans and, and the disrespect, she was made aware of it in mid-August. Okay, so this is like August 17th around that point. And so at this point, I would think that as someone who has been charged with portraying, like I said, this very, very important seminal figure of African-American history, that you would perhaps take a step back and say, you know what, let me do that. Let me take a look at what this person is alleging. I'm not going to automatically, you know, trust them necessarily, but let me at least take a look and see if there's anything to this about this, you know, pattern, this history of disrespect. And so this is sort of like what was being uncovered in um, the day and a couple of days after the September 14th announcement. Um, at the same time, you start to get the media coverage coming in. Um, and so, and, and the pushback, you know, obviously is happening not only on Twitter, but on Instagram as well. And so Cynthia cherry picks um, a, a critical comment about the casting that is valid, but is sort of phrased in a way where it could be perceived as angry. You know, the person is saying, um, you guys are taking these roles and why can't we tell our own story? Something along those lines. And her response, once again, is very much in the spirit of the gaslighting of the straw men that we see with the people that she chooses to associate with. And so her response is about basically being othered. Um, her response is about having her blackness questioned. She says, you know, if you saw me walking on the street and didn't hear me speak, would you think that I was a black woman? Um, which of course the answer is yes. But of course, we also know that that's not the issue. Um, the issue that that person was pointing out was that they felt, and this is absolutely valid, that given the very important role that Harriet Tubman um, has in, in African-American history and culture um, and memory, that she should be portrayed by an African-American, a descendant of the very chattel slavery that Harriet Tubman's life was shaped by and that she spent her life fighting against. And so that argument... I would add one more thing too, yes. is that I've seen some people who've taken a different track where they'll be like, we know it's acting. We don't even mind if someone who is not an American DOS mm -hmm. plays it, but at least be someone who's respectful of oh, yes. the, the lineage. So so there's, there's different camps, just to make clear that oh, yeah, it's, not, absolutely. It's, it's not a monolith of absolutely. disagreement. There's some people who say, oh, the person playing it should be of American DOS descent. Yes. While some people say, uh, we know it's acting. Sometimes Will Smith will play a Nigerian. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a Nigerian plays an American. But at the very least, if it has to be someone who's not an American DOS, don't let it be someone who has uh, shown or co-signed utter, con utter contempt for this right. tribe. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's basically the foundation of you know my thread about why Cynthia Erivo in particular should not play Harriet Tubman in particular. So my argument is that we don't necessarily all agree on if people of a particular ethnic group should only portray people of that ethnic group. We don't necessarily all agree there. We don't all agree on if, you know, people who are descendant of slaves, whether they're from 
America or the Caribbean or Liberia or, you know, sorrow people in Nigeria or Afro-Latino. We don't all agree on whether that's the standard, that you're at least a descendant of slavery portraying someone who's an icon, um, you know, who, who had that, that history. But what we should be able to all agree on, whether we are Black, Nigerian, descendant of slavery, not descendant of slavery, non-Black, which quite frankly, their opinions don't really matter in this, in this situation. But I would hope what we can all agree on is that at the very least, Harriet Tubman and her legacy deserves to be um, portrayed by someone who has an unquestionable past and present of respecting African-Americans. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, always agreeing 100%. That doesn't mean kissing our feet, but that there should be a certain amount of deference there. There should be a very clear sense of respect and a sense of integrity. And that to have someone who has demonstrated very clearly that they don't have that respect, not only through who they associate with, but through their own behavior, which I'll delve into more, but Cynthia has her own pattern of referring to African-Americans only when it's in a negative context of being very dismissive and condescending in her interactions with African-Americans, of mocking quote unquote ghetto Americans. So that's completely separate from any association that she has with anyone else. That's her own behavior. And, and that's something that the third party defenders have used as straw man too, where they say that people are just mad at her for her friendship with Lovey. And your thread makes clear right. that it's not just uh, criticizing her based on her associations, but mm -hmm. explicit content of Lovey's that she has signal boosted or explicitly co-signed and her own, exactly. apart from Lovey, criticisms of and insults to black americans that uh she has done without even loving anywhere in the picture like just exactly. on, on her exactly. own and and one more thing that you uh did mm -hmm. and then i'll pass it to you d one more thing that you did i thought was very good was that you pointed out a lot of examples of her hypocrisy like you took tweets that on their own aren't particularly mm -hmm. indicting but taken in the larger context of her hypocrisy show that she understands when it's useful to differentiate herself from Americans. Absolutely. Like she'll Absolutely. tell American DOS to be like, oh, we're all one. It's silly to set yourself up as deserving special privileges. But then you show examples of her tweeting like something good happens to a West African or Caribbean. Mm -hmm. She's like, yes, West, West African massive unite or she'll promote a casting. She'll be like Caribbean and African. Afro-Caribbean. Yes. Yep. Yeah. For this. So, so she has no problem reserving opportunities just for um african and caribbean descended blacks or isolating just that tribe of foreign blacks for accolades or seeing Absolutely. their win as a win just oh. for that tribe not as a win for black people everywhere like mm -hmm. explicitly um excluding american dos from from basking in that reflected glory absolutely yeah and you were also saying that going along with what teacher said you were also saying that um or am, correct me if i'm misunderstanding that the only time she seems to chime in about african americans is when she is trying to call herself correcting something or you know coming at it from a, a critical standpoint yeah so basically there are a few patterns in terms of when she refers to african americans and i did not have time um, to, you know, 
manually go through however many of thousands of tweets (laughs) she has. And so this is me relying on certain keywords and I'm not necessarily going in with a particular opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. I just want to see what comes up. And if I notice certain patterns, those are the patterns, but I'm not trying to like make something where there isn't. So I just do want to make that clear. Absolutely. But with African-Americans, you see us, you know, sort of a few different types of behaviors. And so she either, when she's referring to African-Americans as their own distinct group, she either switches the focus to a very generic, um, undifferentiated blackness or people of colorness. And so, for example, in February of last year, when it was first announced that she was going to be playing Harriet Tubman, she actually did get some pushback then. She didn't get as much as, as she did now, but she did get some pushback then. And, you know, people at that point were making the ethnicity argument that, you know, wow, Cynthia Revo is amazing, but why can't, um, how is it that there weren't any African-Americans or that, you know, ultimately an African-American wasn't selected for this very important role? And her response to that was to, number one, cite her training um, and her, you know, appreciation for Harriet Tubman, but also to cite her appreciation for POC history. And, and that was in response to someone very clearly saying that Harriet Tubman is a figure of African-American history. But it's almost as if she Generic. couldn't bring herself to, like, you know, say African-American in that positive context. And that's just my yeah. speculation. She had to broaden it to POC. people of color. Right. And then yeah. additionally, go ahead. Yeah, I noticed when it's time to uh, make money off of something African-American. Right. Suddenly all black is the same black. Yeah. We're all one tribe. But when it's time for something uh, to traffic in a negative stereotype about African-Americans, she'll either parrot it or she'll, you know, make an exclusion of herself as being distinct from right. African-Americans. So she's she's there alongside African-Americans, but it's time for a benefit. But right. when it's time to, um, you know, for a negative focus on African-Americans, she doesn't really defend them. And if anything, she'll distance herself from them and even take it further as to join in the stereotyping. As in, there was one tweet you showed where she was... Uh, mocking uh so-called ebonics and mm-hmm. writing in a the quote-unquote ghetto, ghetto american accent. Yeah, those are the words that she that she used and yes. that was in response to her um white friend who was basically saying you know when are you going to to sing to me um and she responds to him you know parentheses ghetto american accent and then mocking um or mimicking what she thinks a ghetto american accent is yeah oh, wow. and it's like it's like we can't even read it in a ghetto way because it's not even correct of course ghetto, not. ghetto vernacular it's like, <laughs> when, it's like when a, it's like when a white guy tries to uh write what he thinks ebonic sounds like and he knows no black people it's written like that so even right. if he tries to <laughs> ape it and say it in a ghetto way there's no way it would sound good because right and it's one thing you know the accuracy of it yeah. But it's also, what is the intention behind that? You know, what's what's the thinking behind that? And so that post was from January Yeah, exactly. um, It would be bad bad even if it was accurate. Exactly, right, right. And so that post is from January 2013. And then Mm -hmm. in continuing to actually look for that post, um, because I noticed that it appeared to have been deleted, and I confirmed that it actually had been deleted. So in the time between I po- me posting this thread originally um, and a few days later, 
that post of hers, which several other people also seized upon, magically disappeared. It was deleted with no acknowledgement, no apology. It was just deleted. So she's obviously aware of the criticism being about her own behavior and that this was a piece of evidence of her own behavior and her own disrespect, and she chose to delete it. However, in looking for that post, I came across several other posts from 2011 to 2013, where her and her friends were joking about ghetto people um, and ghetto American people. And so it's clear, actually the same friend that she was in that exchange with, he joked about you know, beating someone with his fat ghetto booty um, and then there was another friend in an exchange, I believe from 2011, who basically seemed to be assuaging her and saying, don't worry, this isn't ghetto. It's more of an independent, strong yeah, woman geez. thing. So interestingly, the tweet of hers that he was responding to um, is nowhere to be found, even though I can find other tweets from that time period of her interacting with him. So it's possible that that might've been deleted. I don't wanna jump to that conclusion. You know, the absence of, of evidence is an evidence of absence. But um, what is, what is um, possible, he used ghetto in quotation marks. And so it seems as if he was responding to her saying in a worried way or in a negative way, I'm worried about this thing being perceived as ghetto. And he was sort of comforting her saying, don't worry, it's not ghetto. And so not only does that establish that she has a pattern of mocking um, ghetto-ness, with her friends, but that, you know, she knows that ghetto-ness is not a positive thing because yeah. it wouldn't, you know, be beyond the realm of possibility for it to come out and say, well, I wasn't mocking. I think that ghetto-ness is great. I was, <laughs> you know, honoring it. No, that's yeah. not, that's not yeah. what was going on. You know, yeah. So there's that aspect. And then there's yeah. also the aspect very quickly of when she's referring to African-Americans, She's referring to them in the negative context of some sort of animus, some sort of aggression that they're displaying towards either her or towards mm -hmm. black Brits or towards Nigerians, as we see with the posts that she retweeted. And so there are other posts completely on her own, outside of any association with anyone, where she is basically responding to pushback about the portrayal of um, the main character in Get Out by um, Daniel Kaluuya. And she's criticizing, you know, Sam Jackson and saying that basically um, it's he, his arguments are unfair and it is um, not fair for African-Americans to attack and be mad at Africans. Um, but these are the types of contexts in which she refers to African-Americans. And then the other pattern that I see is her basically being quite condescending towards African-American identity and saying things like, and this is once again, someone criticizing her for portraying an African-American role, her response to that is to say, um, actually the African and African-American is the thing I understand more fully than most. And so you have to oh. think about oh, wow. what does that mean? What is she saying there? I will leave that to, yeah. you know, to <laughs> listeners yeah. to think about what, what the, the implication is of that. And similarly saying something like, oh darling, um, you know, you're making all of these presumptions about African-Americans. It is you who does not understand what African-American is. Something I noticed with yeah. a lot of these people is they're way more respectful to white people mm -hmm. online than they are to um, African-Americans. I know I've said this 
plenty of times in the past, but I, um, but now they're more respectful. They give them a kind of pass. And what bothers me about it is like, there's all these white people. I don't know what their investment with her is. I don't know why they particularly like her so much, what they know her from, but some of them seem to be her friends. Some of them just seem to be fans, but mm -hmm. they jump into these conversations. Oh, yes. And yes, they do. Yeah, I'm like, why are you even getting involved? Um, One white guy came in and he just busted in like, uh, there's one guy who came in and his name was Jordan Prescott. He just sounds like really waspy and his picture, <laughs> his profile just looks like uh, Tucker Carlson Jr or something and he's like <laughs> unless viola davis steps up to play harriet tubman y'all know damn well that cynthia erivo is the best wait, person wait, for the role wait. shut up and have several seats and first of all he he's said y'all yeah yes. yeah oh, all and, ha and have several, have several seats, seats. Oh, he's God. using that type of aping of black speech <sighs> to to act this way uh and you know he doesn't talk like this when he's talking about white stuff and then when you look at his profile the guy just looks like uh Orville Redenbacher's love child. Like, oh, absolutely. That's the perfect description. Yeah. Was he holding a cello in his profile pic or something along those lines? Oh, so, so, something like that. His, yeah. his, uh, his bio said... He said a music conservatory of some yep, sort. Yep, MM yeah. at Peabody Conservatory, BM at East Carolina University, associate music director at the Lost Colony, for, former organ scholar of Duke University, Chapel. You know, the guy is, has no reason. But mm -hmm. what I like about him is I like how a lot of white people think that black people don't exist unless they recognize them. So he thinks mm -hmm. that because he has heard That's of Viola Davis and Cynthia Erivo, those are the only two black two, actresses like, right. Right. That, that exist. Right. And, and then you have someone. Go ahead. Yeah, but I just don't understand this entitlement that white well, people keep jumping into this conversation. I, like, I absolutely yeah. understand the entitlement. The entitlement is, you know, what their whole identities and, and lives are formed around. But you have someone like Perez Hilton, for example... Um, jumping in and saying, you know, people will, com will complain about anything. Harriet Tubman would be so honored to have oh, Cynthia Erivo Oh, my God. Yes, I, I, yes, I, I he can't. did. Um, and so that's in my thread about the media coverage. And that basically speaks to, once again, this overstepping. And, you know, that is absolutely part and parcel of what it means to be white in America and in many mm -hmm. parts of the world, that entitlement. But it also is something that we see in digital spaces where they're able to um, be privy to the, the conversations and the disagreements that are yep. happening. And you see many, not all by any means, not even a majority. It could be a vocal minority, but for the purposes of Twitter, the vocal minority matters. And so when it's so visible that black people who happen to be Nigerians or Africans are gaslighting the people who are trying to take Cynthia to task and trying to really um, protect Harriet Tubman's legacy. When you see the language and the tactics being used by her defenders, um, it emboldens them in these digital spaces to use that same language and to use those same tactics. And, and, you know, that's certainly not to say they didn't yeah. have the entitlement to start with. But I think that there is an element of them being emboldened and, you know, sort of feeling like they now have permission to use those tactics of gaslighting um, and overstepping, which is essentially what's happening. Here. Especially especially because um, 
and I say this as somebody who's of uh, Caribbean descent, I feel like there is a way in which African and Caribbean descended blacks, maybe because of that lack of generational history with white Americans, there's a certain level of comfort they have with uh, fraternizing with them to the point that I think a lot of the black people that these people know personally are mm-hmm. the Cynthia Arrivos. They always form like a kind of a buffer class of black oh, yes. people Absolutely. that become their um, window to uh, black issues. So yeah, they're, they're getting, their access point. Yeah, and access their proxies point. as well. And they're so proxies. that's that's something that I basically um, you know mentioned in the media coverage thread, specifically using. Perez Hilton's response and a few other very disrespectful responses from white people that, yes, if you look up the history of buffer classes, of, you know, puppet elites, of proxies, um, you will see these exact same dynamics being played out throughout the diaspora, throughout world history, going back centuries. Yeah, And so that's absolutely what's, there's there's absolutely an element of that. Yeah, there's an example of the uh the black person that lets the white person you say the n-word and it makes mm-hmm. and it makes them get oh, comfortable man. i feel like because uh, we talked about how lovey and these people kind of look at black people through the same lens that white people look at them through a lot of what they do is kind of a black face and i think like that also emboldens them because the fact that um Arivo would do that quote-unquote ghetto voice with a white friend yeah it's going to help that those different white people because they do it with and for their entertainment it's going to embolden them to be like hey um i feel comfortable doing digital blackface too you know because when when, uh lovey does digital blackface a lot of people including black people won't see it as a digital blackface because she has a literal blackface Mm -hmm. right so then i feel like what this jordan prescott guy did when he said y'all know damn well and have several seats is not that different than what lovey does when she apes like that kind of ghetto slang and i'm using her words i'm not actually calling it ghetto myself uh, or you know what cynthia arrivo does like these people kind of em- like you said embolden not just um the right to speak but to actually be disrespectful with the digital blackface Absolutely. Yeah, and i think I- there's a tiny adjustment just to maybe call it like um, African American DOS face, <laughs> because you know, as as we know, and as they point out, <laughs> it's a particular very, type of black, right? right? So they're they're pantomiming, yeah. right? So they're pantomiming um, what they think is American DOS culture, right? Um, and they have, and they, to your point, they view American DOS culture. And when I say they, I specifically mean the people that we're talking about, not all continental Africans, not all um, Caribbean people by any means that this particular subset view American DOS through the lens of whiteness um, and white Americanness. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as evidence of what you said, just to piggyback on everything you and T just spoke on, you see that a lot um, in that crowd. Like you, you look, for example, someone like Issa Rae, when she gets in the mirror and some of those scenes and in insecure, and T has mentioned this before, mm-hmm. and she does her ghetto impersonation it's always an, in, a, in a negative connotation right it's never anything positive it's always in this this negative aspect when she wants to get raw and, and hood or whatever you want to however you want to depict it that's how she does it and i think that that goes along with what you guys were just saying um and there's other yeah, patterns yeah. that come into yeah, play there's too there's a lot of positive american yeah. pos rap that, but they, that you can get right from. but they don't they yeah, don't look at that yeah, aspect. yeah she never whenever it's positive or a most deaf style in the mirror right yeah, whenever it's a another positive point, 
Go right. ahead. No, I was, was going to say, whenever it's a positive thing, it gets co-optive into the general, right? right. It becomes a generality right. and everyone can use it, like the right. Harriet Tubman thing. And I think another point that you made in the past as well is that you don't see this mocking of the negative elements of Issa's Senegalese culture. Right. Or in the case of, um, you know, a Cynthia or her friend, the ethnic bigot, you don't see them... Boko very, Haram jokes. Right. You don't see them very publicly mocking the negative elements or making light of the unfortunate elements of their own culture because there's a certain boundary there that they respect. And yeah. so I think that that's something that is uh, most certainly a pattern that's, that's present here as well. And I think something else that you pointed out was also, um, you know, sort of the, the instances where she is very clearly able to distinguish not only between um, African-Americans and Africans, but between African-Americans and Black British. So for example, she herself says, I'm British, Black, and African. There's yeah. already a divide. I've lived it most of my life. Be quiet and listen. And listen. And so in that post, she's not only acknowledging these very distinct identities of British, Black, and African, and that there is a divide there, but she's also acknowledging the reality of lived experience. She's also establishing boundaries because the person who she was responding to um, was basically talking about race baiting and, and things of that nature. And she's telling them, listen, this is a boundary respect it this is a lived experience that i have you need to listen and yet okay. that same grace um or that same desire to have boundaries respected is not it's something not that she respects a, it's not right. exactly it's not extended to african americans at all um and so yeah she's very clear about distinguishing you know when she when um her friend the ethnic bigot was named to <laughs> um essences woke 100 the inaugural woke 100 her post on Instagram celebrating that wasn't saying like, oh, you know, she's representing for all black women. She said she's representing for Nyjah. And guess what? There's nothing wrong in and of itself with Cynthia saying that. There's nothing wrong with Cynthia saying as she's watching Insecure, you know, I love that Issa and Yvonne are representing for black women and more specifically for African women. There's nothing wrong inherently with her saying you know, Boz, Bozama St. John is such a positive influence to African women. There's but, nothing but, inherently but, but wrong not, with her saying that. She's not allowing American DOS to exactly. do the same on their own behalf. Exactly. Right. So it establishes that she's very, very aware of the distinctions, that she makes those distinctions herself, and that she understands that there's a reasonable amount of pride that can come with those distinctions. So she, when she's apparently like, I think, watching a concert, and Tayo Cruz is performing and she says, you know, I'm so proud to hear your English accent next to all of that American. And once again, nothing inherently wrong with that, but you're able to make that distinction. And so this idea that somehow when it comes to a matter of portraying this extremely important, like I said, icon, progenitor, ancestor of African-American history, that all of a sudden that distinction doesn't matter. And all that matters is that if you saw me walking on the street and didn't hear my accent, you would think I'm, you know, any type of black, generic black. Well, that's disingenuous. There's so much in your threads that what I like is that you're not only um, 
put screen caps and it's great to put screen caps because people delete you know their tweets at will as, as you've already kind mm -hmm. of been experiencing but you contextualize all the screen caps to make a very coherent narrative yes and there's a part where you say she realizes that there are issues where lived experience matters yes where yes. listening and learning matter rather than debating denying dismissing and judges and judging mm -hmm. that choices matter and then you put like um some tweets of hers and i thought these were very good because they show um that she can understand these issues like you said when the shoe's on the other foot when it's yes. time to protect her own uh tribe but that she kind of has porous boundaries for um other black people as being as not being as worthy of self-defining or you know protecting their own tribe but she says um she says uh i'm british black and african there's already a divide i've lived it most of my life be quiet and listen uh or she says uh you are not a black woman in britain this this is not an issue for you to uh yeah talk about but it's time to do an interview about um in the new york times mm -hmm. in front of white people about her right to work, um, take opportunities from American DOS. Then she says, I don't think it's different to be a black girl in England than it is to be a black girl in America. We all collectively share in a pain of displacement and not feeling like we quite belong in places. So the American DOS experience is something generalized that's exactly. for everybody. Oh my gosh, exactly. yes. But, but, yes. but our, our own experience, and, and you also point out, you even give a quote where she, when it's time to talk about Africans, she's even differentiating yes, first generation Africans yes. from second generations from direct immigrants. So there's all the nuance yes. in the world allowed for yes. non-American DOS. Absolutely. But, but American DOS, their culture is just a cosplay for everybody who's black to uh, wear and partake in. And right. To yeah, put they, on can, they can do a carte blanche. They can just right. pick and choose which aspects of black American DOS culture they want to use to further their own agendas. And right. then they can discard, you know, what they perceive as ghetto. And I think there's something in particular that stands about, out about that quote is this idea of the sameness of, you know, collectively sharing in the pain of displacement and not feeling like we quite belong in places. And I think that there's something to that. So I don't necessarily discredit, you know, the element that is shared there. And I think that there is value in finding common ground and there's value in realizing those elements of shared experience um, that are, you know, transcendent to black people across the world. That's valuable. However, all steel is not forged the same. And so by that, I mean, African-American identity um, and African-American DOS identity and the way that our identity was forged, the conditions, the environment in which it came to be almost, what, half a millennia ago, um, are very, very different than the conditions of a immigrant coming to um, sort of the colonial mothership, so to speak, in the 1960s or 1970s. I believe that Cynthia's mother came from Nigeria, um, probably in like, I guess it would be the 80s, maybe the 70s. Um, and so the experience as Cynthia herself is able to differentiate between different generations of Nigerians, the experience and that, that formation of identity of being a first or second or third generation black British person of Nigerian descent, whose parents elected to um, and we might say, you know, indirectly they were forced to by global and imperialistic and colonial reasons, but ultimately they chose to immigrate to, to this country. That's a very different environment 
um, in which that identity is formed rather than the people who were taken from, who were stolen from, who were sold by <laughs> um, and sold into slavery against their will and, you know, came to these shores against their will with no idea of what awaited them and who have been here for hundreds of years and who have endured chattel slavery and Jim Crow and redlining and all of these, you know, different incarnations of the peculiar institution that really shaped our identity. Two very different experiences. And so what concerns me about that interview is that at this point that the interview happened, she had already been playing Sealy for several years. Um, and it might have been, I don't remember the exact date, but it might have been just before she was cast as Harriet Tubman. But regardless, to me, this quote speaks to, at the very least, um, an ignorance, and I don't use that in a pejorative way, but that she simply doesn't understand the differences in terms of how identity is formed and that for us, slavery, as this wonderful woman on, on Twitter, Ebony, Ebony Elizabeth, was saying yesterday at Ebony Teach, slavery was the crucible. And so at the very least, that's demonstrating that you don't understand what it means to be an American DOS. Um, and at most, given what she's demonstrated about being able to distinguish quite easily when it's convenient, um, it demonstrates a disingenuousness. And I, yeah. go ahead. I think something that's kind of tough too is if, and this is kind of restating something we've already said, but just in a different way. But I think if she had this lack of respect for American DOS protecting their own image and defining their own uh, cultural boundaries, but she was just as porous with her own right, right. cultural boundaries, exactly. then at least I could say, you know what, I don't agree with it, but at least you're consistent. Like you're letting right. Americans or American DOS just traffic in Nigerian imagery, imagery all they want, or you're letting white people be confused. Like for example, she'll correct white people or other types of non-black people when they are sharing the credit that goes to British or African or Caribbean descended blacks with all black people. Right. She'll jump in to be like, wait, no, specific. Hey, this is actually a uh, an African British type win. of head wrap or yeah, or an, an African, African dance. Yeah, yeah, but but she's more than willing to be in the New York Times saying, hey, you know, this African-American stuff, it belongs to all of us. I don't believe. And that's kind of what's annoying. And you can give examples of that. Like she puts um, Issa Rae and Yvonne Orji in the book from Insecure, bringing joy to us women, more specifically women of color, more specifically African women. Mm -hmm. And you know what's really interesting about that yeah. tweet? Because look what she does. First, she goes really broad, but she goes women of color which what does women of color mean? That means anything. That means Mexican, Latina, Thai, anything. Thai, yeah. whatever. And then she skips over conveniently. American, yeah, American <laughs> West and jumps straight to specifically African. And that's very interesting that she does it. It's telling, yeah. So she yeah. says that the Nigerian people are a win for all women of color, whatever, and for specifically uh, African women. She puts it in all caps. Mm -hmm. But... She makes sure this lets people know this is not a win for um, a black people in, in general. Like she doesn't want that association except when it helps her. She goes hearing uh, she goes hearing Abraham's West African accent makes me so proud. She's 
commenting on something. I don't know what it is, but she specifically said... It was like a TV show or something that was airing in, in the UK. Yeah. It, it, she goes... Uh, she at Tayo Cruz on Twitter, and she goes, made me proud hearing your English accent next to all that American. Mm-hmm. So she specifically said, I was so happy to hear your British accent in the sea of all those American accents. London Massive. Yeah, yeah. And once again, there's nothing inherently on its own wrong with that. Yeah, you yeah. You know, that I, I expect and understand the pride that comes from that. But as you both point out, that same um, pride isn't allowed to happen in yeah. the other direction. And that same distinction isn't allowed to happen in the other direction when it doesn't benefit her. And one uh, last example that you put that mm-hmm. I think is very good. You put one where was helping promote something for a fashion show. So yes. She goes, two models needed for a shoe fashion show tomorrow need to be Afro-Caribbean. Anyone around? So she specifically put out a <laughs> Indeed. call. Indeed. Um, <laughs> wow. Two Afro-Caribbean models. She didn't say we need two black models. It's all the same. Like, you right. Know? And, and, and for shoes, why do you have to be Afro-Caribbean? Like, right. Is, is anyone going to look at some black feet and some shoes and be like, oh, those look American feet. I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, to those. me, if anything, that seems like this sort of instance where one might say, well, if you saw me in the street and didn't hear me speak, you yeah, would see yeah. a black person, right? Yeah. That's yeah, sort of, yeah, that's exactly. where that logic might apply. And I have no idea what that fashion show was about. And so I'm not going to like, you know, unduly um, harp on her about that particular thing. But once again, it just is part of this larger constellation of behavior that demonstrates very clearly that she understands when it's appropriate for certain um, types of people, for certain ethnicities, to take up certain space to fill certain roles um, oh, for sure but but even if those shoes were shoes that were jamaican and right, african right. Flag, <laughs> flags yeah it's still it's still no different <laughs> right. uh, exactly. but putting an american pair of feet exactly. in those exactly than the optics of a caribbean person playing harriet tubman i'm sorry or african person playing harriet tubman exactly and putting on um a southern accent like it's it's still the same the Absolutely. same thing so Absolutely. and she's very passionate about calling out appropriation cultural appropriation so for example um you know when someone i think vulture actually they i guess were posting um a dance and they tagged it or captioned it do the stanky leg and she hops in and says this is not the stanky leg this is the guaraguar it originates in south africa (laughs) um and someone else um was basically i think that there was a photo of an african woman in the uk with a jelly and they remarked on it as being you know sort of the common um the shared commonality of of women from different cultures covering their head um and she clarifies them and corrects them to say in this case women all over the world have worn have scarves this way this is universal however the fabric is the call to west african style um and so she understands the importance of you know clarifying this distinctiveness and of of calling out appropriation but once again somehow all of that is lost when it comes to absolutely things in the other direction with african americans there's a point d made in the past and d i think i'm correctly attributing this to you if i'm not let me know but um were you the one who said in the past episode that um a lot of these people come to this country seeing white americans as the real america like that's where they come mm-hmm. to join to like be next to and the uh african-americans are kind of like they've like they they come in here with the expect- expectation of coming in alongside 
and sitting next to the white people and look at the American DOS as kind of second-class citizens. Like, they're not the America that right. a lot of these people came here to join. They came here to impress, to fraternize with, to study next to, and to be employed by white America. Like, the American dream is, sadly, the white American dream. And we're kind of mm -hmm. in the yeah. way of yeah. their access to that. Yeah, but what makes it kind of foul is they kind of realize that white Americans have a certain level of fascination and the world attraction to mm -hmm. black Americans. So they realize black American cultural capital is valuable, but it's only valuable to the extent that it helps them infiltrate what they consider as the valued America, which is white America. So they don't want to really identify with or stand by or they want to distance themselves from american dos they also can't stay away from them because they realize that they give them something that they can weaponize to help get next yeah. to these people i mean i said this with the the yvette Cornell episode they know that um white americans uh like seeing black people do hip-hop and trap music but they're not really lining up to hear fella you know, like like if they, if they go in, exactly. yeah, if they go and talk about Jolof Rice and Afrobeat, a lot of white people will be like, uh, okay, that's kind of interesting, <laughs> but I'm not really into that. Uh, let me go listen to this guy talking about uh, hip hop. So, so, so it's kind of like, that's kind of a double-edged sword. Like uh, Issa Rae, and she took these down very recently. And I wonder if it's because she realized the optics of it looked bad. I can't find them anymore. But she used to do this, these series of YouTube videos back when... Ratchet Peace Theater? Yes, Ratchet Peace Theater. And it was mm -hmm. all about interpreting <laughs> trap music and whatever um for the uninitiated and it seemed like a white person doing it for white people but she was using the optics of her as a black person as kind of pretending that she had some kind of entryway into this and i was thinking like who is this for like black mm. people don't need this stuff interpreted it was like national geographic jane goodall type of anthro anthropology like you know, like, <laughs> like studying a tribe it was very right. condescending and mm -hmm. insulting and mm -hmm. it's clearly for white people they do this stuff for white people too so they can show oh we right. can do this too well that yeah. brings up that brings up a really important point in all of this which is like the the lens that we view all of this through and I think that part of that lens um, has to be three questions, which is to whom, for whom, and to what end? And by whom? Like, I, I throw in by whom too. By whom too, or yeah. as, as a vet would say, who you? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, and so I think that those are really important questions to ask that sort of always will bring you back to a very clear understanding of what's really at play here. And in the case of what we're discussing with, you know, Harriet Tubman's legacy, I think the other aspect of this is how has Cynthia responded to this controversy? So, you know, we already discussed the initial response of saying that she was being othered. And, you know, if you saw her work walking on the street and didn't hear her accent, what would you think she was? Um, but then there was a follow-up response to that. And that was quite lengthy. And also posted on Instagram, which I'll note on Instagram, it's much easier to control the conversation and delete comments. I don't know for sure if that's why she posted it there, but I will say that she did not post um, a similar statement on Twitter. She chose to only post it on Instagram. And so what you see in that in that statement, which you know was the longer version um, to her initial response, is not Harriet's legacy being centered at all but rather Cynthia um, making it very much about, once again, 
this aggression that is being directed towards her. And so she basically, and I won't read the whole thing, but she basically, you know, starts off by saying that she struggled a little with whether or not to post anything, which saying that you struggled a little is already sort of um, an appeal to emotion, right? It's it's sort of yeah. setting, yes. setting the groundwork or laying the groundwork, I should say, for um, please empathize with me. Um, and this is, you know, I've struggled and I've, um, I've overcome that struggle and I'm, I'm being courageous in putting this out there. So that's sort of the, the setup there. And she goes on to say that there's so much celebration and encouragement. So that's acknowledging that she has so many supporters, which is also a very important part of the framing. Um, but that there's also anger and offense. And so once again, the pushback the critique, the protecting of Harriet's legacy, the genuine concern for the disrespect that she has demonstrated towards Harriet Tubman's progeny is being framed as anger and as offense. So let's, you know, put a pin in that. And, 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 and I think that thing I was talking uh, about, about yes. how white people are the real America and black people are just like a black American DOS are just like the second class citizens. I think it shows in how they position themselves and, the, and that positionality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dictates the responses because they respond to the black feedback as something be condescending with oh, yeah. gaslight and you get know, defensive no, about you're defensive yeah. but not just defensive but they talk to them like children whereas when yeah. they respond to white allies you talk to them like equals or There's aspiring equals right or almost from the bottom it's up. Like, like it's almost like black americans are the ones having a seat at the kitty table and they're at the table with the adults them yes. and and white people and that's how they treat us in these conversations i i, I picked up on that yes yes exactly they're talking down to mm -hmm. the african-american dos as if they're on the kitty table as if the black american dos on the kitty table and they're speaking to them from the uh adult table next to the white people but right. they also kind of realize their seat at the grown-up table with the white people is precarious mm -hmm. and they're new to it yeah so they talk to the white people at the table with a very cautious tone that they you know don't use with the uh american dos at the kitty table i think and, that's and, a absolutely and, and it seems like they also take their cues a lot of times from those very same white people because i wanted to go back to um something that you pointed out in your thread Bo, is um when you brought up what happened with the situation with samuel l jackson uh speaking about get out and daniel kalua mm -hmm. you pointed out the way that um one of the writers of an article i can't remember which uh which rag essence. it was for essence um you pointed out how vernacular was being used to manipulate as well they took oh, certain yes. words and phrases and uh framed it in such a way where it looked like samuel was attacking <laughs> as Absolutely. opposed to asking questions about hollywood's practices exactly they framed it as if he was attacking you know black british actors and, and things of that sort yeah i mean essentially what i put it as is that he wasn't necessarily hating on the players he was hating on the game right and so he was really um commenting on in a very meaningful way um the larger industry dynamics at play and you know sort of the market forces at play as well mm -hmm. and also commenting on you know how that affected the job prospects of african-americans which is completely valid yeah. and yet the more um logical and sort of um what might be perceived as neutral but but compelling parts of his argument were conveniently left out of that article and it was framed as him accusing black british actors of taking roles 
from their African-American colleagues um, and only including his quote about saying they don't cost much, um, (laughs) which, of course, that's going to be perceived as a slight. But what he really is getting at there is the market forces, the industry dynamics. um, And then also saying they think they're better trained um, for some reason than we are. They're finding them somewhere. And when he's saying they think that they're better trained, he was referring to the powers that be. He's referring to the actual decision makers, white people. He's not saying, oh, these Black Brits think that they're better trained. How dare but, they? But, He's but, saying but the decision he wouldn't be makers. wrong if he did, because I have. Seen no, he would. He said. he wouldn't. He wouldn't. But, 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 but he was but that wasn't critiquing. What he was exactly, he was critiquing the larger yeah. the larger system. Um, and what was also interesting about that is that, like I said, she admitted the comments, and then when you go and ask, you know, by whom <laughs> or who you. You see that the author of this Essence article, which is essentially a fluff piece for Cynthia Erivo. Yeah, they're um, always fluff pieces yes. that are very biased. You see that the author is based in Kenya, um, that she is Kenyan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she you know, did her schooling here in the U.S. And in her bio, she talks about how she is passionate about all things Africa, um, etc. And so that is not to say that an African person, a Kenyan person, can't write um, you know, a genuinely probing article about an objective article about the the critique that the casting of of Cynthia as Harriet Tubman was getting. But it is saying that it's important for us to like sort of be media literate and to be aware of who's doing the writing. So she's the weekend editor and also who is on the masthead. Um, What is the editorial mission of these magazines? We can't assume to know what it is because a lot of ownership has changed hands. Who owns the magazine and hired her? Because it could be white people just hiring um, foreign blacks because they make them more comfortable. Uh, There was some kind of study about that that said that... um, Yeah, there's a study by Sandy. Go ahead. Yeah, that they feel more comfortable around foreign born or foreign descended blacks in American DOS. So that can play a role in the hiring decision of who they even had available to even cover the story in the first place. Right. But it is sort of mind boggling that for a story about this and for much of the coverage about the controversy, the coverage was about Cynthia Revo, this is a framing, being attacked by angry, offended African-Americans. And something that you saw as a common thread in 90% of the articles was the fact that she is so close to EGOT status. So she got an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony for her performance of uh, The Color Purple, in The Color Purple. Um, And that basically the way that Harriet as a film is being presented is as a prestige piece, as a piece that will more than likely have a very concerted Oscar campaign. And I will, I will help her get that notch. Exactly. That will help her get that Oscar that completes the EGOT. And so you see... In the Essence article... It's a tool, something to weaponize. Right, and in the Essence article, the point that they leave off on is saying that, you know, she's gotten these awards and that this could be her Oscar and then ending with, you know, the PR blurb about the film, which is very stirring because it's about the history of Harriet Tubman. And so that in and of itself is sort of an appeal to emotion um, and And, making it more about her achievement or how much closer the film and this role brings her to this achievement rather than the actual valid questions of authenticity, of integrity, and of her own pattern of behavior and disrespect towards African-American DOS yeah, who are Harry Tubman's we've people. We've created this discourse, and a lot of American DOS activists, uh, particularly of the, the Black Excellence Blue Check crowd, have really bought into it too, uh, is this uh, 
um, anti-racist politics that revolve around representation optics, which is different than representation. Because representation optics just means like, does it look like I'm being represented? And it's like, when you see her, if you don't know her background, whatever, yeah, it looks like... Yeah, I'm rooting for everyone black. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people... When they saw that, they thought, wow, Issa Rae is now pretty pro-black. People were using that to defend Issa Rae when people were kind of saying she was anti-American um, DOS. But I'm like, she wants everyone black to win because that means she's being accepted by white people. She she wants everyone black to win because when black people win, that means that white people are going to... It helps her brand. It helps her. She's not showing any particular love for any particular tribe of black people or trying to fight against the system. She's actually making a plea that she wants more evidence that the optics of her are being um, accepted. And I think that's kind of how these people see it. And uh, one thing I I wanted to say is if I were to look at how they kind of see American DOS. I would say it's like, uh, we talk about neoliberalism a lot on this show and how neoliberalism is about everybody being a product and marketing yourself and whatever. I feel like they're a lot, they're very neoliberal, but to them, American DOS and the neoliberal uh, equation aren't even given the respect or acknowledgement of being other people who are just as validly allowed to be as individualistic and striver as they are like, yeah. like american dns aren't even given credit to being other neoliberal agents what they are is a products. stepping stone yeah 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 products right, yeah. Like, like they don't have an agency they're products to do two things with to either consume or to wear like you know they're either like something that you buy or eat or something that you wear like a costume. That's what they are. They're not even other equal players trying to play the same game and whatever. Yeah. You're just there for us. To- and, and much what you said, man, to piggyback on that is much like we're something to be consumed. We are only also only allowed to consume or to be consumed. What am I? Okay. We're only allowed to consume, which means we can only buy and spend of our, all of our money and all of that kind of thing. So, so or you're we, a product buying a product. Right. We're a product buying a product. We can never grow outside of that status. It's, it's amazing to me. We can never profit off of our own contributions. You know, only other I, people can. Yeah. I read a lot of Issa Rae interviews when I was doing my show on her and I stopped because they were all saying the same thing. She has a very rigid set of talking points. But one of the things that she yeah. describes african-american culture like it she just describes it as if it's just nothing but a collection of really good songs and sitcom like it's all about beyonce it's all about and if you watch her show the one thing i'll give credit on her show i don't think her show is particularly well written or well conceived or has anything very interesting to say but and this is the thing i was telling somebody like i've <laughs> watched three seasons of it for whatever reason the music is exceptionally curated and the mm-hmm. cultural references are pretty well curated. Like there's a whole host of nineties and eighties sitcoms that they reference. And she has really good trap music in the background all the time. Um, and you know, they're always talking about Beyonce. A recent episode, they went to a Beyonce concert and I, and Issa Rae recently did a photo shoot. And in the photo shoot, she dressed up as all these 90s black sitcom characters uh did you guys ever see this photo shoot that she did i think it was for gq no yes uh, yeah yeah she that was what black culture broke
broke down to her. And, and, and when at one point she wore a Harriet Tubman shirt, but it was you could tell it's more to be cool, like you know, because they just love mentioning Harriet Tubman. Like I said, they kind of reduced her to just a name drop. But yeah, she and she told a story in one of her interviews, which kind of put the GQ photo shoot into context. She was talking about how she kind of didn't fit in with the black kids or the white kids. She felt black for the white kids or too white for the black kids or, or whatever. The same tired story. But she said how when she went to Africa and was around her African cousins or family, she noticed that they would ask her about all these different black American cultural things like sitcoms, whatever. Like that was the soft, that was a soft image that was broadcast yeah. around the world. And she realized, wow, this actually makes me like not cooler in in africa to these people and she mentioned how in america she realized knowing uh american dos culture made her cooler to white people and i think that just kind of adds to the whole there is something to consume like she talks about all these shows that she watched and digested to you know understand black life growing up it's all black people were to her or a costume to wear which she literally wears in that gq uh photo shoot <laughs> and the interesting thing is that her mother is to my knowledge american dos i think she's from yes. louisiana so I, it's quite interesting i haven't followed her um super closely and i've not watched her show um but that that dynamic that she has is quite interesting but i think what she was getting at um with the realization of you know the soft power that african-american culture has abroad is something that actually has come up quite frequently in the in those among those defending Cynthia's casting um, as Harriet Tubman and one of the talking points is that basically you know African Americans they feel that they're entitled or that they are the definition their culture is the definition of blackness around the world they um, you know, sort of have this very ugly American attitude in terms of their culture spreading and dominating the world. But God forbid one of us, a black Brit or a Nigerian, come in to play this role, then all of a sudden there's a problem. And what I find interesting about that is that, first of all, there's this element of resentment and contempt of how hyper-visible African-American DOS culture is. Um, and then also that that really is a misreading of what's going on. And, so it's and, not and that also, I think the priorities are messed up because while they're viewing it, I know a lot of people do this. Yes. The prize is white attention. And that, right. And that right. is kind of disturbing, too, because right. you almost so get whom? jealous yeah. that white, mm -hmm. that white yeah. mommy and daddy like you. They you guys are cooler like right. like like they came to your recital but not to mine right and then right. also it's weird as, a, as in that by the very same token in that same group a lot of them will say things like black americans have no culture that's also another play in this it's have you heard quite yeah there are so many contradictions but something yeah. else that is that's you know sort of underneath that is that really what they're doing is misbreeding even those ones who aren't necessarily you know intrinsically valuing the white gaze like they're just some who are genuinely um bothered by you know this sort of reach and spread that african-american dos culture has or they're not necessarily bothered by it but they just you know recognize how far-reaching it is but what they are not seeing or what they're misreading or what they're pretending to misread is that really as far as I see, that is a byproduct of American cultural hegemony. That's yes. a byproduct of, um, of culture, of American culture being the U.S.'s biggest export. That is not African-Americans, and we are certainly quite brilliant, creative people, and we're definitely culture creators, but that is not our um, intention to, you know, have this dominance and to voice our culture 
on all other black people across the world. That's not what's going on, but rather that our culture has been co-opted by the white majority, by the white mainstream for hundreds of years, going back to, you know, ragtime and beyond. And that then you have the hegemony come into play and it gets exported around the world. And then, you know, there's a social media aspect as well, which has certainly changed how that happens. But that's really what's going on. And, and so that misreading like, is just so disingenuous. Yeah, and also shows like, you know, that positionality, like, uh, because you're blaming the other subjugated people exactly. when, when, you sh when you could also be attacking the white American, you, you could ask the, the larger white, system, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could ask the white people because it happens in Europe and in America that white mm -hmm. people are primarily fixated with American soft power. They could say, exactly. why are you guys ignoring us or marginalizing us? But instead, they target their ire toward other oppressed people because they're kind of conditioned to want that white white approval. Uh, I have one last thing to say, and mm -hmm. then I'll pass it to uh, you guys. This will be my last question. I'll let you guys uh, take it out. But one common objection that I keep seeing um, coming up, and I think it's worth bringing up because one of the most popular straw men, is people keep saying, well, what about um, Will Smith? What about Will Smith uh, playing a Nigerian here or Forrest Whitaker playing uh, Idi Amin? And I think a difference for with that is that those are american productions and i feel like if nigerians were in, in nollywood doing a, a story about uh martin luther king i don't think anybody would care for the domestically created martin luther king story they were hiring a nigerian person to do an american accent like i've seen in a lot of british shows where they'll have a character that's supposed to be black american and they'll use a black British actor to play, like say like the black CIA guy or whatever, or to play like the black politician from America. And it's like, I don't think these same people will complain because domestically in their own productions, in the British production, the Nigerian production, you can have anybody play uh, the American you want. Like I think it's kind of a false equivalency because in these productions, it's American productions where they're not letting um, Americans play their own icons and i want right. to get your take on on that yeah i think that you got at a lot of the um elements that are going on there i think that it's important to you know compare apples with apples so to speak and so obviously um yes those are american productions when we're talking about um concussion and we're talking about um the last king of scotland and you know whatever the um morgan freeman film was that people are bringing up as well and various other things those are american productions i will be fair and acknowledge that um hollywood is a global industry right and so i think simply saying that it's an american production um sort of doesn't get at the Financing um, and the financing, but also, you know, the resentment that people justifiably might feel, which is that, you know, it's not saying this an American production isn't quite the same as saying that it's a French production because the American production ends up going global. And that ends up oftentimes perhaps being the, you know, definitive movie on that person. And that's not the case by any means with with all of the with all of the movies but you know I, I understand where people are coming from in terms of the american productions being more global in nature so there's that then there's the aspect of you know sort of what this hinges on with the the particularity of the role um and i think that um the the doctor who will smith played in, concu in concussion is certainly an important man he did very important work but is his role in Igbo culture um 
or in Nigerian culture for that matter, Nigerian history is his role that vaunted and that seminal as Harriet Tubman's is to African-Americans. It's, it's not, it simply yeah. isn't. And so I think that to, you know, really construct the correct analogy would be if it was a Nollywood production, like you're saying, or at least, you know, an African-based production, like you're saying, um, and if it was this extremely vaunted um, person in, in the culture, and that sort of puts it on equal footing as far as the level of concern that people have around this casting, or for that matter, if it was, you know, British production, and it, if it was about a um, Caribbean or, you know, African heritage civil rights leader in the UK and, you know, what that person meant to that group and bringing in an American. People would have every right to complain about that. And I feel like that they also have a right to complain about, you know, Will Smith. His accent was absolutely horrible. And I know that in <laughs> yeah. the circles that I was in, that um, most of, you know, my African-American and Caribbean and African friends were like, this is unacceptable. His accent is terrible. Wow. Um, and there actually are so many prominent Nigerian actors, whether they absolutely. be British or American, that they could have done better with that. But I think in that case, we'll actually might have produced that. So, you know, that is not quite um, a fair argument, but I'll acknowledge, you know, the, the emotions that are um, in that and also the market forces that are in that in terms of American productions being more global in nature. And there is an actual competency issue with that one because, you know, like yes. you said, the accent was actually uh, Yeah, but bad. there's a competency issue as well. I mean, when we talk about um, the ethnicity argument for Harriet Tubman, there's three components. There's the aspect of honoring legacy and people having the right to tell their own stories um, in terms of the casting. There's then the aspect of performance, depth, and integrity. And that gets at what you were talking about before with Issa Rae and the fact that the culture that she is learning about and that she presents is very surface level. Um, and that there's this notion of deep culture. So if you look up um, Edward Hall's cultural iceberg model, there's this notion of deep culture that entails, you know, communication styles and rules, notions of space and leadership and modesty, um, concepts of self, time, past and future, fairness and justice, and that these are all things that are beneath the surface and that are deeply embedded and that you don't have access to really unless you're in that culture. And so very let's good say- name, Very good name drop, by the way. Edward <laughs> Halls is very good. Yeah, yeah and so setting aside, um, you know, Cynthia's very pronounced pattern of, of disrespect and, and hypocrisy that we've laid out, setting that aside, um, I, you know, don't doubt that she's a very well-trained access, actress. I don't doubt that she takes this role seriously um, in terms of the technicality of it and, you know, that, that performance and that she's digging into the history and, you know, Harriet's biography and, you know, meeting with experts and things of that nature. I don't doubt any of that, but I do think that there's something to be said about being of the culture, whether you're an Igbo man or a Ugandan man or a South African man and being able to draw from that deep culture that you have access to that outsiders don't and infuse that into the performance. So I think that there's something to be said for that. And I also think as far as analogies, that let's use the analogy of, you know, the Armenian genocide or the Biafran war or the um, Rwandan genocide 
if you had a movie about a very important figure of any of these cultures, Armenian, uh, Igbo, Yoruba, Rwandan, Hutu Tutsi, and the person playing that role associated with someone who had disparaged and denigrated and habitually overstepped while exploiting the culture of the very person who the actor is going to portray. And then it came out that the actor themselves had this pattern of disrespecting, of being condescending to the culture of this person who they were going to play, this person who is grounded in um, you know, an atrocity, the atrocity of slavery or of the Armenian genocide, what have you. I think that it would be expected, if not from just a pure, genuine, like conscious and integrity perspective, but at the very least from a publicity perspective, it would be expected that the person would have to come out and say, listen, um, yes, I was friends with this person, but I no longer am. Or yes, I'm friends with this person, but I rebuke the, you know, horribly bigoted statements that they've made about this group. And I'm going to take the time to explain and apologize for this pattern of hypocrisy and condescension and disrespect that people are concerned about being displaying towards this group. That would be the expectation with any other group. And so I don't think that what's being asked for here as far as that bare minimum, as I said before, of Harriet Tubman being portrayed by someone who has demonstrated a consistent respect for her culture, for the people that she was Moses to, I don't think that that's asking too much. And what's instead happened in, I guess like the three weeks or so, since this first became an issue, is that not only has Cynthia deleted posts, um, but she's also sort of, you know, tiptoed into conversations. So there was someone who at mentioned her and said, you know, Cynthia, please tell me that these anti-Black American posts aren't true. And her response, because she actually acknowledged this, she responded to the person and just said, have you seen any? Um, and the person said, well, I saw a retweet, but I, I don't want to believe it. And she never responded to that. And so quite obviously, the retweet that she was referring to, that this person was referring to, was Cynthia endorsing and, and amplifying the belief that African-Americans are jealous of Africans. But no response there. Um, and just earlier today, I see that Cynthia hopped into a conversation yesterday about the casting of Janelle Monet, which people were criticizing that and um, speculating that you know, somehow, or basically putting a, a stake in the ground and saying just because Janelle Monet has been cast and, you know, Jan Janelle Monet is African-American DOS, that doesn't excuse um, Cynthia's casting. And she tiptoed into that conversation and said, surprise, surprise, you know, if I may <laughs> clarify, the actual casting is different than the casting announcement, um, as you were. So that's what she ended on, as you were. Now, once again, there's a very clear tone of condescension. Yeah. And then in contrast to that, um, and you know, she got some pushback. Um, Tyler Collins, who once again has been very persistent with asking her very directly on Instagram, um, on Twitter, you know, please clarify your, your statements and your view of African-Americans. She asked that same question again and no response, but Cynthia instead responded that, you know, I'm not arguing with anyone at all. I'm merely stating that Janelle was not a last minute decision. I'm not trying to change, any, change anybody's mind. If it's already made up, yours is already made up. And that is clear you're entitled to that, sadly, without knowing much about me. Well, Cynthia, um, you've 
put things out there in the public. <laughs> um, all we can go on as far as knowing you, quote unquote, is the beliefs that you choose to promote, that you choose to endorse, that you choose to make public, right? Because Twitter isn't just a social media platform. It is an expression of what we want people, what, what we want people to know we believe, right? So it's not just a view inside our heads, but it's what we want people to know we think and believe. And so if you are by choice since 2011 or so, putting these various views out there, that's all we have to go on. And if you also haven't taken the time in three weeks to clarify what your views are, what your associations are, what you condone or condemn, then what else do we have to go on? And of course, another post that she made in response to this exchange um, used the same framing that you know she's used in the past and that many of the articles and, and media coverage has used is basically saying, you know, anger is something that everyone is allowed. At this point, I'm just trying to do my job. And so once again, she's framing the pushback and the critique as anger. Um, and she is also framing what she's doing as far as clarifying the finer points of movie publicity as doing her job. And yet she doesn't feel that it's part of her job as portraying Harriet Tubman, who she claims she's very protective of. It's not part of her job to clarify what her beliefs are, to clarify her own pattern of disrespect and to condemn her friends, her friends bigotry and her friends mocking yeah. of Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great well place. That's, that's a great place to uh, end it. That's a great summation. Just one last thing I want to ask you before you go. What are your personal um, politics in general, if you have to describe them? Just because I kind of want people to kind of see that uh, this is something that kind of unites a lot of different people from different mm -hmm. who might not normally be on the same page in yeah. different, different arena so i personally don't know but i was just yeah, wondering yeah. uh what your usual politics are and where you're coming to from this i'm independent so i don't ascribe to any particular um ideology because i don't neatly fit in anywhere um i would say in relation to this that i think question that really hasn't been addressed is the larger system and we've sort of gotten at it but a lot of the other discussion hasn't gotten at it is the larger system that it's that is in play um, or in place i should say um and what does it mean that black british actors and actresses have to come here in order to get worthwhile roles what does it mean that there's such a lack of opportunity in the uk that they you know, basically, if they want to work their way up their career, that they have to come here. And also, what does it mean that black people worldwide have to immigrate in the first place to former colonizers to the UK, to France, um, and, you know, to other various U European countries and yeah. to the US for that matter? And what does it mean that we have to demand representation in the media of places that are predominantly white. And so for me, I think that there's a conversation to be had about sort of the evolution of what it means to be rooting for everyone black and what it means to be pan-Africanist. Having that conversation with like a 100 to like 500 year view where I want to see all black people around the world doing well 
and I want us to have a system in place um, and to have certain isms done away with. And this is, you know, ideal thinking where we don't need to depend on representation Hollywood. Even though I do want to be clear that African Americans have spent like, you know, a hundred years making a way for ourselves in Hollywood and creating our own productions. But I want it to get to a point where we don't need to depend on um, the UK media for representations where, you know, Nollywood, which obviously Nigerians have done wonderful work with that, Ghanaians have done wonderful work with Gollywood, where it's at a level because of the strength of our economies and our societies, whether they be the black community in America, the Caribbean, Africa, that we can have our own and not have to place this value and you know fight for representation in the dominant media of the world. So I think that that's you know sort of something to examine, and that's something that I think about a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that it's clear that I'm not xenophobic. Um, I love African culture. I have an African uncle. I have African aunties, African friends. Um, I appreciate it. And I also appreciate the boundaries. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's my position. There you go. And also, man, Hollywood has a long history of running roughshod over people's cultures. You know, rather you go back to the time of minstrel stroke, not just Hollywood, entertainment, the entertainment industry in general, rather it's going back to the minstrel shows, oh, yeah. blackface, rather it's, uh, you know, Charlton Heston playing Moses and, and whites portraying the roles of Egyptians. Yes. Um, or, you know, Americans. the mockery, the Native Americans, the mockery of, you know, Chinese and Asian cultures. Um having white actors portray them in roles you know even to this modern day where you have matt damon in movies like the great wall or you have uh scarlett um johansson portraying a japanese character in the uh, ghost in the shell film that's always an, an underlying theme in some of this stuff and we always have to keep our eye on the ball of who actually benefits from these sort of divisions and, and capitalizing off of these cultural differences we don't seem to. We go at each other's necks. But, um, you know, and other groups of people who are in charge of all this stuff are laughing all the way to the bank while they capitalize on it. So, Amen. Yeah. That's yeah. All but I, but I think that there still does need to be personal accountability as well. Yep. And so even if, you know, there's ultimately someone who is making the most benefit, you need to personally be accountable Absolutely. about your disrespect and about your complicity yep. in the system of, you know, being a buffer um, of white supremacy, of denigrating African-American DOS culture, and ultimately the, the legacy of our icon, Harriet Tubman. So. Absolutely. Great. And and with that, I think that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, Bo. You're always welcome to um, come on. And in the show notes, we're going to link to not only the threads, but uh, Bo's actual Twitter account, too, so you can uh, follow. Because from what I see, you're not letting up on this. Uh, Bo brought that heat. Yeah, yeah, at all. <laughs> yeah, check out Tyler Collins 101. She's going strong with the uh, petition over a thousand signatures so far. And okay. we're going to soldier on. We're going to pr pursue this for sure. All right, great. Uh, so thanks again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye.